Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, November 12, 2015, and we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 5, the uh, second paragraph, Gradually Things Got Worse. Today's readers are Bella G. on the 12 Steps, Stacey T. on the 12 Traditions, and reading the text are Cheryl H., Rebecca F., and Deb W. Our newcomer greeter is Elizabeth S. The reference number for yesterday, Wednesday, November 11, 2015, is 8190. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Bella G. to read the 12 steps. Good morning. This is Bella G. I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Here are the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Four, made a searching and fearless small inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, 
We try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, thank you for letting me do service, and I pass. Thank you, Bella G. And Stacy T., would you please read our 12 traditions? Yes, good morning. This is Stacy T. calling from Cleveland. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one purpose, primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those who serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all of these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you, Stacy T. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass and then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 5 of Bill's story, the second full paragraph. I will now ask Cheryl H. to begin reading. Good morning, Kathy. Can you hear me? I can. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Cheryl H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Wisconsin. Gradually, things got worse. The house was taken over by the mortgage holder. My mother-in-law died. My wife and father-in-law became ill. Then I got a promising business opportunity. Stocks were at a low point of 1932, and I had somehow formed a group to buy. I was to share generously in the profits. Then I went on a prodigious bender, and that chance vanished. 
um, this Bill's story in general, the, the first few times I read Bill's story, um, and, you know, this paragraph is a great paragraph where all I could focus on was the differences between Bill and I, how I was nothing like Bill. Early on, all I could focus on is that I, was, I wasn't a white man, I wasn't a stockbroker, I wasn't drinking bathtub gin like Bill. But as I listened to other recovered compulsive eaters and worked with a recovered sponsor, I began to see how I was just like Bill. And I think that change for me is, was really important in me being able to um, open myself up to um, having a spiritual experience. Just, just like Bill, gradually things got worse for me. Um, every diet I lost weight on only resulted in me putting more weight on um, afterwards. Um, I was, after a while, I was diagnosed pre-diabetic. Um, soon, um, as time went on, as my compulsive eating got worse and worse, the scale read uh, high numbers I never imagined possible. So in this paragraph, just like Bill, I had brief moments where I kind of felt like I was, um, I should say I feel like I was fooled into feeling like I had more control. Um, but just like Bill, I would end up on a prodigious bender and back into the misery of the food and the compulsive eating and the disconnect from my higher power. So thank you for allowing me to share, and I pass. Thank you, Cheryl. Okay, I heard Charles, and who else? Kim G. Larry. Kim G. and Larry K. Anybody else? Okay, we'll start with the three of you. Go ahead, Charles, please. Thank you. Good morning, Kathy K. Charles is a recovered visionary. All I heard was gradually things got worse, and I've seen red. I see it red in my eyes. It just, it just, yeah, yeah, things got worse. You know, um, pouring things on top of things. You know, um, thank God for Lori C., right, and his little OA Big Book guy, because it ain't just binge foods. It's ingredients that I put on binge foods that make those ingredients binge ingredients. And, you know, yeah, things got worse. It got worse. And thank God it got worse because, you know what, and, and, I'm not out of the woods yet, and, and like the, the previous speaker just said, yeah, I, I am diabetic, and you know, and, and, and the my A1C was 15.4 two years ago. You know, I was one of those dudes that just didn't care about anything as long as I got my fix, and y'all know what I'm talking about. And uh, you know, and the miracle of this program is that tomorrow, um, for the third year in a row, uh, you know, I'm I'm asked. I am humbled to be asked to speak to other diabetics that are going through the same thing. Um, you know, trudging this world together, right? And and that's that. You know that. You know, and and I was thinking about what should I say. I, was, you know, you know, I'm coming out of. You know, I'm going to take the doctor's opinion. Being I'm being a hospital, but my thing is like I need something to satisfy or or take. You know, something just as accelerating as the food was, as the sugar was. So you know what? The joy of actually sharing my experience with others, you know, is way more, um, um, way more endorphins for me than, than the actual food. Because guess what? You know, 10 days in, no catch-up, I'm good. I'm good. I'm not dead. I'm not, I'm not looking for my fix. So, yeah, things gradually got worse. 
and I'm grateful that it got worse. I'm grateful that my bottom had a trap door, which was another bottom, which was going down more, and 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 and, and hell had a, another trap door, and I'm grateful. So so with that, I'm gonna pass. Thanks. I just got zinged up when I heard that speaker say gradually things got worse. Thank you, Bill W. And thank you, Dr. Silverberg, and thank you all, and all you guys on the line. I pass. Thank you, Charles H. And uh, Kim G., please go ahead. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive reader from South Jersey. Then I went on a prodigious bender, and the chance vanished. You know, this promising business opportunity, and I personally love this because if anyone is ever in New Jersey on a Sunday morning in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, that's my home group at Cherry Hill Hospital. And this promising business opportunity happened in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. So I love that link. And what it was was he knew he, he had no money, but they knew he was brilliant. And they said, Bill, we want you involved. If you can only stay sober, we're going to keep you in this business opportunity. And that was the only thing he had to do. And part of the celebratory process of this deal coming together was they were, going to, they were passing this liquor around. It was called Jersey Lightning. And he had never had Jersey Lightning, and he was able to refuse it the first few times. But then they said to him, come on, Bill, you've never had it. You've got to experience it. And he said, well, since I've never had it before, let me try it. And then the allergy was ignited, and off he went, and the promising business opportunity vanished. And this reminds me of two times in Overeaters Anonymous, having some absence behind me, feeling good because the allergy is not being triggered, and one time being in a grocery line where all the candy is and looking over, and they had the brilliant idea of making Reese's Peanut Butter Cups into white chocolate. And I thought, oh my God, that person was a genius. How could I not experience for one time in my life what Reese's Peanut Butter Cups taste like with white chocolate? And off on another prodigious bender, Kim went. Same experience in the grocery store, going down the aisle to get my cereal. And I look over, and they made Oreos into a cereal. How brilliant is that? What do you do with Oreos? You dip them in milk. You make them into a cereal. Genius. And I decided I would try that, because how could I die without having tried Oreo cereal? Off on another prodigious bender with Kim. Why is that? The allergy is not being triggered. I'm not feeling the phenomenon of craving. It's because of the alcoholic mind. It didn't matter that Bill was sober. His mind convinced him, since he's never had Jersey Lightning, that it would be okay to have one. My mind will convince me, if I'm not treated with the steps, that having one is okay. And I'm just going to end with this. That is so important to understand. The allergy is not being triggered. Why am I making an insane decision? I love to look at Fred and more about alcoholism. Fred's mind says, I felt I had every right to be self-confident that it would only be a matter of exercising my willpower and keeping on guard. And on the best day, he picks up. On the bottom of 41, we're given a promise. It says, not only I had been off guard, remember that was his, his, his solution, I made no fight whatsoever against the first strength. My friends had prophesied that if I had an alcoholic mind, the time and place would come, I would drink again. And that has been my experience over and over and over. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. And Larry K., please go ahead. Lindsay from New Hampshire. Okay, Lindsay, you can go after Larry K. Go ahead, Larry. Hey, Kathy, good morning. Thanks for your service. Larry K., Recovered Compulsive Reader. Um, 
So these, these paragraphs on the, the progression of Bill's disease, they, they, they bring up a general theme for, for me. And that is that there, there's many reasons that getting caught up in life's pull kind of dominate, you know, in the competition for our spiritual enlightenment. In other words, you know, the, the, the drama in Bill's, you know, in Bill's life and the drama in, in our lives, they distract us and they divert us from a deep and, and profound connection with our creator. And, oh, I, I, I wanted enlightenment, all right, but I wanted it to be fast. I wanted it to be easy. I wanted it to be a, obtainable on my terms. I don't know about you, but, but as, far, as for me, you know, I, I mean, I wasn't willing to put in the effort, the time, and the work to get the result. See, that type of effort is for suckers. It's for you. <laughs> um, yet when the, when, the, when the sun went down each day, my scorecard read zero. I mean, I was, here's the deal. I was disconnected from my higher power. I was sucked into the drama of life. I usually went to bed full of resentment, fear, dishonesty. Of course, I needed to feel, uh, to, to, I needed the food to numb out, you know, from that pain. And, you know, many of us, we profess a desire to change, to become enlightened, to awaken from this spiritual slumber. But, and this is key for me, relatively few of us ever accomplish that. And why is that? Even though these steps with the instruction manual right, are right under our nose, you're probably looking at it right now, most of us, unfortunately, will be unwilling to do the work required. You know, my, because my natural human tendency is to allow myself to get sucked into the drama of life. I get drawn into the past, or the realization of some future that's not here yet, and I get distracted from what's happening in the present moment. And there's no program in the past. You know, there's no points that I earned for time served. The steps are for doers right now, today, in this moment. And, you know, the drama of life is interesting. I mean, and it can lead to feeling alive, you know, exciting. Yet we can't allow the drama and, and the excitement to detach us from God's calling to us. You know, recover, recover, recover. That's, that's the message. That, the reason why the, um, the, the recidivism rate going back out is so great. People are not recovering. They're not recovering. And, uh, and they're not carrying the message of how could they? I, didn't, I, I had lots of things to say. I had lots of opinions. But anyone who listened to them before I recovered, you, you were going to get exactly what I got, which was nada. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. And Lindsay Kay, go ahead, please. This is Bella. Can I share? Uh, wait a minute, Bella. Uh, Lindsay is next, and then we'll take a few more names. Go ahead, Lindsay. And this is Lindsay B. from New Hampshire. Can you hear me? I can. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm Lindsay and uh, recover today. Um, thank you with the grace of God. Um, this paragraph, um, gosh, it hit me extra hard this morning. And um, I was thinking when I was at the convention, and, and for the first time I said I was recovered, and wondering, you know, I'm recovered? You know, and that kind of, it would be nice if maybe there was a, a little test you could take, like a pregnancy test, and have a little you know, line lights up, but, but I knew, and there were many reasons I knew, and one of them is that for the first time I felt like I love studying this book, 
I identify with Bill's story in a way I never had before because I spent so much time sort of trying to find differences. In the doctor's opinion, it talks about um, him, uh, the doctor, witnessing people returning to health. And I always felt like I felt like I never really had been healthy. I never even discovered what it was to be healthy until I started working a, a program of recovery in in all my many years since 1980 of being in, in program, I certainly have had have stretches of, of fabulous abstinence and, and amazing life events, but I was never recovered. And what happened was when I first got abstinent and um, I kept finding these amazing opportunities and started to realize that there were gifts I had and, um, and things I never thought I could do. I didn't grow up in a culture in, in uh, like in Austin, I hear over in this country in particular, when I came here, I kept hearing, you know, you know, you can really do anything. And what I heard growing up was, you know, some people can do anything, but, you know, don't you expect anything, blah, blah, blah. And of course, you can imagine how long that was on my resentment list. And thank goodness today it's not. So connecting to this paragraph, I, I, I suddenly found that there were these opportunities that kept coming my way. And um, but, uh, you know, when it came close to actually following through and doing it, I would go on that prodigious bender. And so goodness knows how long it would be before I would get back on track. Now, for me, I'm not one of those people that would go out and gain more weight. What I would do is just gain and lose the same 10, 15 pounds over and over and over again. But for me, when I'm on my way up to to gaining that weight, I, I just don't know when I can show up. So I, I, the, the amazing opportunities that have been handed to me when I've had grace from God and I have not been able to follow through. So not only then am I dealing with the, the feelings of, um, you know, uh, oh my God, I've missed another opportunity, the shame, because I realized that, that, that God was giving me these opportunities and I was sort of throwing them down the toilet. Um, today, uh, very recently, um, I attended an event last night uh, to find out about this business opportunity. That is not me. I don't do that. And what I learned with this organization is that they make it real clear that this is something you do the work. It sounds very much like, you know, not any quick fix, but on a daily basis you do the work. And because I believe in the company and I believe in the integrity and I believe that this particularly product really does better the whole world, um, I feel like this might be something. Like I'm getting this little nudge from God that says, actually, you know, you might want to try this. And how wonderful it is not to wake up this morning, and go, oh, it was so good, but boy, why did I go have to eat? You know, why did I have to binge afterwards? Of course, now I'm not interested. And I remember once, um, I'll just I'll class with this, a sponsor of mine saying, I think it was actually an, 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 a, an old AA. Old oh, we can't hear you, Lindsay. Press star oh. one. Lindsay? Okay, we'll catch her later. Let me ask who else. That, uh, you, okay, oh, are you there uh, now, Lindsay? Yeah, you know, I don't know why. I don't know why it stopped. I'm just going to finish by sharing one thing. Uh, a sponsor once said, an AA person said to me, you know, I never once woke up in the morning and said, gosh, I wish I ate last night. I'm so very grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lindsay B. Okay, let's take a few more names. I heard Bella G. Who else? Renata. Melissa. Okay, Renata. Roxanne. Lorna. Roxanne. Okay, I heard Roxanne. There was someone after Renata. AJM. Melissa. Melissa. 
I'm having trouble. I have Melody G, Renata G, Roxanne, and AJM. Who else? Lauren. Lauren. Tina S. And Lauren. Tina S. Tina S. Okay, let's stop there. Okay, Bella G, go ahead, please. Are you there, Bella G? Yes. Thank you. I am sorry. Good morning. My name is Bella G, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overreader. Thank you, Katie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Gradually, things got worse. Yes. Yes, this is the kind of the disease, at least for me. I didn't gain more than 100 extra pounds in one day. Yes, it took me for so long. It took me years and years and years to, you know, to get the over 100 pounds more extra of my weight. And, yes, I lost, you know, I did a few times diet, yes, and I lost, and every single time that I lost, I said, that's it, that's it, I am not gaining anymore, but unfortunately, things got worse, because not that I didn't gain back, I gained double and triple, so first of all, it affects my physical situation, but also the emotional. I got even more angry at myself, more angry at other people, more jealous, more judging, more blaming, and I wanted to punish, to punish myself and to punish the whole entire world. So how can I punish? Again, to go to food, and again, to gain, and to gain, and to feel miserable, and just things got worse. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that all these um, terrible, terrible thinking just stopped when I got into the program and I understood my disease. Then when I got relieved, when I understood, I am powerless. And it wasn't so easy to accept that I am powerless. And it's such a freedom for me now, and it's such, I am such in a peaceful stage when I can say, yes, thank you, God, I am human. I am human. I am not perfect. I am not even wish to be perfect. Today, I am connected to God, to the higher power, and this is the relief. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella G. Uh, Renata G., go ahead, please. Thank you, Kathy, for your service. Good morning, family. This is Renata G., Recovered Compulsive Reader in New York. Um, I want to talk about the chance vanished. Um, you know, Bill got this opportunity because, you know, the, the investors knew that he know the market. You know, he he spent a year out, right? Like, researching and doing his work and he was a brilliant guy and you know but then liquor took it away and I want to share an experience that I've had in the past and where this disease really robbed me of something after you know a lot of hard work 
about almost like 20 years ago, I'm getting old, uh, in Brazil, I decided that I was going to be a flight attendant, you know, because I wanted to see the world. And uh, I thought, wow, what better job than being a flight attendant? And it was a very glamorous, um, you know, um, job. And uh, they were very strict in Brazil, like, you know, you had to go to a special school and get certified, and I had to go to school dressed in a in a uniform, you know, like a skirt and jacket and have my hair up on a bun and makeup, everything perfect, you know. And we we had, like, so I took this course for, like, four months. I used to work full-time and then go to school at night. I paid for the course with my own money. I, it took me two hours to get to school, two hours to come back home. I had to get, like, you know, on a bus, a train, subway, and another bus to get to school and everything again on the way back. And uh, I, I had to go to, uh, to the jungle for sur- survival training for a weekend. Like, it was a lot of work. And we learned about, like, 10 different subjects that were not, like, regular school subjects. They were all related to airplanes and, uh, you know, airplanes laws and all of that. And after all this work, I went and I took the test and I aced the test. I never worked so hard in my life. And then I went for the, for the job interview. And the first part of the process was you say your name, your age, and then they check your height and your weight. Because you couldn't be, like, they, they had an age range for flight attendants, and you couldn't be too short because you wouldn't be able to reach, you know, the overhead bin. You couldn't be too tall, otherwise you don't fit on the plane. And guess what? You couldn't be overweight because airplanes are very small. And right then and there, I was, you know, uh, I, I failed the test. I had the age, I had the height, but I was overweight. And all the hard work, all, you know, my dreams, everything went down the drain that day. And I remember, you know, I felt so defeated and humiliated and I was devastated. And I left that place saying, I'm going to show them, I'm going to lose the weight, I'm going to do it, I'm going to change everything, I'm going to, you know, change my life, I'm going to stop eating the way I do. Did I do it? No, because I couldn't. I couldn't. That obsession of the mind would always convince me to eat the way I ate. I could not stop. And so, you know, I'm I'm convinced that there's nothing in this world that can stop make me stop eating the way I did except for the 12 steps because that's the only thing that worked for me. And, um, you know, thank God for this program. And today I don't need to miss out on life's opportunities anymore, not because of this disease. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, uh, Renata. And just a gentle reminder to time yourselves for three minutes. Uh, Roxanne, please go ahead. Good morning. This is Roxanne, recovering in Detroit, Michigan. And in listening to this reading, and this, um, this part of Bill's story, I'm reminded of an I learned recently. It's FOMO, fear of missing out. Fear of missing out on some taste, on some sensation, on some ex- jovial experience with my fellows. 
How many times did I pick up because I had a fear of missing out? And what is it today uh, that allows me to be surrounded by food, and I don't do it intentionally, but should it happen, that I am surrounded by food that used to trigger me, and today I have no desire to pick up? It's a connection with my higher power. I'm either moving toward the food or I'm moving toward God. It is a miracle. It's as if I've been given not only a new mind and a new heart, but also new eyes because I can look at items that used to have complete power over me and it's as if they don't exist. I can't explain this in any tangible or logical way except that God has done for me what I could never do for myself. And that's my good news, and I'm so grateful to be able to share it with you this morning. Thank you for letting me share. Uh, thank you, Roseanne. And AJ M., please go ahead. Good morning. This is AJ M., a gratefully recovering compulsive overeater in North Carolina. The line that jumped out at me, as it did for Charles, is gradually things got worse. And I thought about that. Before this, he had things like, drinking caught up with me again. And then he said, I was to have no real employment for five years or hardly draw a sober breath. And then liquor ceased to be a luxury, became a necessity. And then two or three bottles a day. And then to wake up in the morning, a tumbler full of gin, and then half a dozen bottles of beer before he could eat anything. But things got worse. That just astonished me. How could things possibly be worse? And um, it made me think about the progression of my own disease and the denial that goes along with it. How could things possibly have been any worse than what he had already described? So I got to thinking about the way my brain works when I'm in a diet mentality, um, I'm in charge. I can take care of this. I can do this. And what I forget is um, something that I heard in a big book study in a face-to-face meeting last night that um, I've always thought it was the amount of food I was eating and that if I could just control the amount then everything would be fine. There was such denial there. And what we read in the big book last night was a line that said, it's not how much you drink, it's what drinking does for you. So it's not how much I was eating, but what the food was doing for me. And that came as just a a big awakening for me last night. But for Bill, the denial here, things got worse. It's like worse than hell that really jumped out at me. Thanks for everyone for sharing and um, your service. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, AJM. Uh, Melissa C., please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Uh, this is Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And um, God, there's such great shares this morning. My head is like, buzzing now. Um, you know, yeah, gradually things got worse. Um, and um, and then, you know, he lists 
some sickness and some death. And, um, you know, which um, those are un- unfortunately the parts of life. But what, so what's really getting worse? Um, it's the addiction. The addiction is getting worse. The need for the substance is getting worse. And, um, you know, and then, and, um, and so, you know, so yes, when death and loss comes along, drinking is, a reasonable solution. It sounds like, you know, it's the only viable option. And and then when there's an opportunity for success, for a business opportunity, a way of getting himself out, there once again, there's the drink again. And, um, you know, and so it really reminds me in my own life that no matter what the external events were, food was always the thing that I kept returning to, whether it was loss, you know, I couldn't handle uh, the loss of my father, the loss of the child. Food was, was what I, you know, turned to. And, and you know, and I'm thinking, like, how incredibly selfish that is to, um, and grandiose to think that I'm going to get a free pass out of grief. You know, like, every single human being on this planet is experiencing at some point loss and pain. And somehow, Melissa, in New York, is going to, you know, supersede that. It's going to get a pass. Um, and how I really wasn't present for other people around me who might have needed to grieve along with me. Um, and and then, you know, fast forward, there's the good opportunities, too. You know, um, thinking about when I got married, how much happiness there was, you know, so full of joy. And, you know, I found the food again on my honeymoon. I had been experiencing great control. I was in a period of super control. And I remember picking up on my honeymoon. And, you know, when you ask me about my honeymoon, I really remember the buffet. Um, that is just, you know, so no matter what was going on in my life, food always took front and center. And, um, you know, I'm just glad to know that today. And yes, if I pick up again, gradually or swiftly, in my case, things will get worse. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa C. Lauren S., please go ahead. Hi. Time it first. Just going to time it first. Okay. Hi, I'm Lauren S., as in Sam, a homo sapien from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, wow. Um, this reading today reminds me greatly of this ever stripping away journey in recovery. Um, I don't, I don't see things necessarily as being wasted or being out of recovery. I, I really think that every human moment and every challenge is just part of recovery, is part of the experience. Um, so. A prodig- uh, so he goes on a large bender when it's inconvenient. You know, is that true for me? Absolutely. I had a kind of on the cusp. It, was, it came out of nowhere meeting with my boss, my ultimate boss. I'm a preschool teacher. My inner Lauren, my inner child is so proud of how I am doing and and really trying, really trying, guys, where I came from and what's going on today with teaching, 
God's like, you got this, man. You, you're okay. You're trying your best, man. And the talk with her was difficult. She said, I'm not where I need to be. I need to not be so book smart and try things. And I, I swallowed that human fear. And I said, you know, I'm really glad that you're telling me this. Because I don't always see how I am. I'm tr- I want to let you know, though, that I'm earnestly trying my best. Um, and I walked away from that encounter not desiring food or hurting myself with, um, gosh, what do humans use nowadays? Not just substances, but wanting to hang out with, like, a guy immediately or, or restrict my food or, or go on amazon.com I didn't do those things I reached out in the process today a hundred percent of the time with this recovery unfolds I have a challenge I am guided to see it differently it brings new hope to my eyes and eventually I see that challenge as a blessing with that I'll pass thank you Lauren S and Tina S you'll be our last share before we move on Thanks, Kathy. Tina as a uh, compulsive reader and anorexic uh, from Florida. Long, really great stuff. Um, gradually, things got worse. You know, I remember, you know, um, I graduated from high school. I was I weighed 120 pounds. I got accepted to the hospital school of nursing, you know, and I was uh, living high. And, and gradually, things got worse. And the opportunity that I had at uh, the nursing school, you know, at that time, it was a two-year RN program. You know, nowadays, you don't have that. But you know, how I dealt with all the stuff in my life was, you know, I'm also an alcoholic. If I w- wasn't able to drink, then I was eating. So in this, you know, I went away to school and, you know, the vending machine is right down the hall and I'd study and I was at the top of my class. You know, it's one of them things. And I heard so many people share this, you know, and then, you know, all hell broke loose. You know, I, I, in my, I gained 30 pounds in like four months and, you know, uniforms didn't fit and I just felt so terrible about myself you know depression you know so something had to go you know and I had to quit school you know, I went in and lied you know somebody died you know all that those lies and I remember the director saying to me Tina you're at the top of our class yes but I just really can't do this anymore you know and and you know today I know nothing happens in God's world by mistake you know I don't think I'm nurse material I'm not so much of a caregiver and you know I do work in the um medical field today but in different capacity and you know when I got abstinent and I started working the 12 steps and I you know went through the steps with the sponsor and did all that kind of stuff many more opportunities opened up to me and I was able to to take care of that stuff to do it no matter what you know even in the fear face everything and recover instead of you know false evidence appearing real all that good stuff and today I have a life beyond my wildest dreams and if it were not for the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and the program that programs of recovery that I'm in today, I would not have had this opportunity, and I'm so deeply grateful, and I thank you all for being on the line, and I pass. Uh, thank you very much, Tina S. And uh, Rebecca, would you read the next paragraph, please? Hi, Kathy and everybody. This is Rebecca, compulsive overeater. I woke up. This had to be stopped. I saw I could not take so much as one drink. I was through forever. Before then, 
I had written lots of sweet promises, but my wife happily observed that this time I meant business, and so I did. So this paragraph reminds me of a line in the doctor's opinion on XXIX, and I'd like to uh, point that out. The doctor says, after they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over, and unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. And so that statement by the doctor in this paragraph from Bill reminds me of myself. I can identify with Bill that um, I would go on a prodigious bender and I would wake up the next morning and I would tell myself this had to be stopped and I couldn't take, I didn't realize I couldn't take even one bit of my binge foods. And my guess is that even though he says he couldn't take so much as one drink, I don't know if he could really get that he couldn't have any. Um, We just thought we had to stop eating or drinking and uh, that we could swear off uh, doing that which was killing us. And we learned in the retreat uh, or the conference recently that swearing off is not admitting powerlessness. It's not taking step one. It's thinking that we have the control. We can stop by not having even one or limiting the amount that we have. And uh, that just isn't enough for us addicts. Um, It may be for a, a normal person who overdoes it a little bit. But for us, we need to turn our will and our life over to Uh, power greater than ourselves to do for us what we are incapable of doing for ourselves, even when we think swearing off is the solution. It never worked for me, and it didn't work for Bill. I'll pass. Thank you, Rebecca F. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Reva P. Lynn Allen. Okay, I have Reva P., Lynn S. Paula D. S. Paula D. And I heard one other that we may have time for. Monica. Monica. Okay. Monica D. Let's start with those and see how far we get. Reva P., go ahead, please. Good morning. This is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. I love the tone that Bill is using as he writes this paragraph from the perspective of a recovered alcoholic because it demonstrates to me what my thinking was um, before working this program of recovery. And it demonstrates how um, I think when there's a problem that I need to fix it. My first reaction, although that's changing now, is to roll up my sleeves and say, I have to do something. 
this has to be stopped, and don't you know I mean business. And there's at least six eyes in this one little paragraph. And that's what gets me in trouble. And together with the paragraph that we just read before, it reminds me of the part, um, I think it's in Working with Others, where it says, job or no job, wife or no wife, we simply don't stop drinking or overeating as long as we place dependence on myself and other people ahead of dependence on a higher power. Um, And that's where my mind was before I came into this program. I have to do something. And what happened was things got worse. (laughs) That's what happens when I run the show. Um, It's also a reminder that it doesn't matter what's happening in my life. In the previous paragraph, things were bad and things got better. It doesn't matter. I'm going to overeat no matter what, because this is an internal problem that is not fixed when outside conditions get better. I mean, I can overeat because here he lost money. I can overeat because I broke my shoelace. Like, there doesn't have to be a reason. There is always a good reason. Um, um, So it also reminds me that in recovery, you know, a lot of unpleasant um, things have happened which are really just part of life and recovery is the opposite no matter what's happening on the outside I can still be a sane abstinent person um, no matter what Um, and there's just such um, solidity in that like it doesn't matter the tornado can be happening around me but I'm not the tornado anymore I can be Um, what does it say, matching calamity with serenity. And I never, ever um, imagined that that would be possible before. um, And that's why I'm so grateful. With that, I pass. Thank you, Riva P. Lynn S., please go ahead. Hi, this is Lynn S. from uh, Compulsible Reader from Toronto, Canada. This paragraph really speaks to me right now, and it's so funny. Um, There's seven let's see there's six sentences and seven times he uses the word i and it just reminds me i just drawn back to so many firm resolutions that i made when i got so desperate i couldn't stand it and and the resolutions like you're you're so desperate you're down and out and it's made out of desperation but then there's that hope that something's going to happen and i can make it different and I'm just, just remembering this firm resolve, that drive to, I'm not going to do it this time. This is how I'm going to fix the problem. It's going to be better, and I'm going to be okay. And it was that those same two feelings, the absolute desperation and that flicker of resolution that somehow this was going to be better, but it was all on me, and it was sort of clear the decks because here I come, but it, but it was always that twofold feeling, and, and maybe there was some despair in there that as much as I knew this was going to work, I knew it wasn't. As much as I believed, like, look out, here I come, and it was absolutely blind, blindly driven, this was going to work, I knew it wasn't. And, and maybe that came later, maybe that came after the 
I don't know how many how many times I remember, you know, I lost my first 100 pounds at 16 and then I didn't come into program until I was 38 and it was a bounce of up 100, down 80, up 120, down maybe 100 until finally there was 140 pounds of extra weight that I had put on through dieting and firm resolutions that this time it would be different and this time I could do it. Thank you, God, from the bottom of my heart that I found a way. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Lynn S. Uh, Paula D., you'll be our last share. I'll have to ask uh, Monica to wait for the second hour. Please go ahead, Paula. And thank you, Kathy. Thank you for this opportunity uh, to speak. My name is Paula D., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater by and with the grace of God. You know, here we read Bill's story. Not to compare, to identify. That's all I had to do was identify in. One site there, gradually things got worse. And then he wrote, and I'm going to go right back down. I'm going to scoot down to where we're reading. But I just ha- I want to bring this in. The house was taping over by the mold. My mother-in-law died. My wife and father. I can't identify with that. But what that was was life. Can I identify with life and how I ran away from it? Because I didn't know how to deal with it, any, with anything but with anything but a food, a drink, or a bite. But come down here. I woke up. Yeah, this had to be stopped, but I had the same mind. My mind hadn't been transformed or changed. I saw I could not take so much as one drink. All right, I knew it so much from my knowledge. I was through forever, oh, how many times? If forever was a day, if forever was a week, if forever was a month. Before then, I had written lots of sweet promises. Can I tell you, I meant them. I made sweet promises to my family, to my God, to anyone that would listen, including myself. But, and this is what changes. My wife happily observed that this time I meant business, and so I did. I believed the lie. I told it. How could it be a lie? I said it. If you said it, that's that's a lie. If you said I couldn't stop, I could stop. But look here. This time I meant business. This is the realization. It doesn't matter what you mean. What you have to fight with is nothing. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Uh, thank you, Paula. Monica, we have one more minute. Would you like to take it or wait till the second hour? Or I'll take it. Good morning. <clears throat> Monica, compu- recovered compulsive overeater. I was just thinking, look at this. I woke up. You know, what has it taken him to wake up? He's lost his friends. He's lost a, a good marriage. I mean, he's still married, but, you know, that's gone down the tubes. He's lost jobs. He's lost homes. He's lost everything. I woke up. This had to stop. I couldn't take so much as one drink. You know, I woke up frequently, too, every morning after a binge. And um, after a while, I was like, you know, I just can't do this. There's something I can't have these sweets. And I would make lots of promises, you know. And I meant business. I really did. I really did. This was it. I am going to do this today. You know, like Joe and Charlie says, I'm going to use my willpower here. I'm going to sick will on this. But that didn't work. And I didn't know what I didn't know, and I couldn't see what I couldn't see. And thank you, God, for OA. And I pass. Thank you, Monica. And thanks to everyone who shared today. Um, 
Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Deb W., would you please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only on page 164. Sure. Deb W. recovered in Oklahoma. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.